inside of the bulletin is um, an outline you can use as we go through our uh, study this morning. And while you're getting that together, uh, two quick uh, two quick announcements. The first is this past Thursday from uh, uh, state's capital, one of our members, uh, Jennifer Allen, gave uh, a really uh, long-reaching webinar presentation over what has become her life's work, uh, Asperger's 101, and uh, she is going to be retiring from that particular uh, ministry that she has has dedicated herself to over the years and turning it over to the next generation of leaders. And uh, some of the things that Jennifer has been able to do just, I, I think, defies um, words. I mean, she has literally uh, changed the, the way that law enforcement and other agencies and groups in, in our state uh, look at, at, at folks that, that's, that struggle with uh, being somewhere on, on the spectrum. And uh, she has just done, if you know Jennifer, you know that she, she is dying a million deaths right now because I'm talking about her. But I'd like for her to stand real quick and let's appreciate her in her ministry. And then the second thing is, as you know, we're heading into December and we're going to have an opportunity to invite people to come and to hear what the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is all about. And uh, what we would like for you to do is to invite people to come and just to hear what the message that is out all over the place, uh, what the message is about the birth of Jesus. And during the middle of the month, we're going to make the stage kind of look like a living room, and it's going to be very inviting. We want you to fill the auditorium with, with visitors. But more than anything else, we want you to be what makes it so inviting. And so over the next couple of weeks, as we head towards uh, the end of December and, and the Christmas holidays and people are thinking about the Christ, we want you to be inviting. We want you to, to be praying. We want you to be excited about the opportunity to bring people and to have them hear what the story of Jesus is all about. Now, with that said, we're going to jump into our lesson today. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, so grateful for the life that we have in Christ. What a life you have given us. What it, a life that you have invited us to be a part of. Father, we, we are so humbled that you would share your love with us. And we're grateful, Father, that, that the love that you had for the Son before the creation of the world is the love that you want to pour into our hearts through your Spirit. We are grateful for this. And we are changed by it. We are transformed, Father. And we want to live our lives above the level of pettiness and of holding grudges and of, of, of holding on to, to, to uh, those hidden places that we refuse to open up to you. We want to let it all go, Father, so that you fill our hearts with your presence. And we're grateful, Father, for the opportunity to come together this morning and to worship and to encourage one another and to remind each other that we are not our own, we've been bought with a price. And that you are turning us, Father, into the humans that we were always intended to be, to be like your son Jesus. And so to this end, we ask, as we always ask, Father, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, in order to be transformed and to be your people, your holy people, your people of light, your salt people in this world today. In this we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. And everyone says... 
You know what we're doing in November, right? November, we're getting ready for December. And we've been citing a study from 2018, Goldman Sachs study, that basically said at the end of the year, there is a lot of stress. 53% of Americans just say, you know, I'm stressed about money. 23% say that I'm stressed with all of the people issues. 23% say I'm kind of stressed with all the weight gain. Now, the first two weeks of this month, we've done kind of a mini-series talking about the money end of it. And the big idea of those first two Sunday in November sermons is this, that the human heart functions best when it loves God above the rest. We've talked about that and talked about that. Last week, we began this mini-series on worry. Worry sort of in a general sense because worry is alive and well in our world. Worry, as we talked about it last week, and as you know and have experienced, is rooted in how we perceive our circumstances. Sometimes we perceive that we are in lack, and so we worry about having. And sometimes we we have a perception that we are in danger, and so we are worried about our safety or somebody else's safety. And the way that we describe that sense of worry based in our, or couched in our circumstances, we described it this way, that worry is the uneasy sense of being mastered by circumstances rather than Christ. Now, we want to take it a step further this week, and we want to talk about folks. And we'll couch the definition, or we'll, we'll present the de- definition this way, worry is the uneasy sense of being mastered by people rather than Christ. And you know what I'm talking about. The reality of life, as long as there is dysfunctionality in our world, as long as there's difficult people and families in the world, the holidays are going to bring them together under one roof. And you know what that means. And you know what I'm talking about. A critical judgmental comments about kids and food and home. A stream of sarcastic remarks. Uh, insistence on sharing political views. And you know what the rule is. You can't disagree with me. No one helping with the cooking and the cleanup after meals, letting the kids run and tear up the house, vying for the center of attention, always one-upping. You know, there's always somebody that says, well, you know, my experience, and you know how that goes. The amazing know-it-alls that just show up at the dinner table. There are the movie critics. You can't watch any, but anything on TV without somebody having some kind of a critical thing to say. Uh, too much information sharers all of that incessant talkers you just can't get away from the noise yesterday we uh we were out i was out front working on the lawn getting ready for a small group today and uh, uh we have this great family that lives across the street from us and they have this little four-year-old boy i don't know what i did but i'm his best friend he goes to school one day you're supposed to talk about your best friend he's talking about mark 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 and mom goes to pick him up and uh, teacher says, yeah, his best friend's Mark. And uh, she goes, he doesn't know any Mark. And then she, talking about that old guy across the street. So they come out yesterday. They're getting ready to move. Ellen and I are real sad about that. And this little boy just, he comes out the door. He sees me, he starts yelling, Mr. Mock, Mr. Mock, Mr. Mock. And I mean, he just starts talking, talking, talking. His mother's putting him into the car seat. And she turns to me and goes, this kid has been talking all day. I'm going to send him over to spend some time with you. And her ears were just dragging on the ground, you know. And, this, and she, he made his mom stop in the middle of the road so I could come over and talk to her. 
Incessant talkers, right? We've got the remote-controlled usurpers. We've got the football haters. I mean, what is up with that? How many times have you been at a Thanksgiving dinner and you sit down, you're about to watch a game, and you hear this voice that says, are we just going to sit here all day and watch football? The answer is yes. Yeah, oh, come on now. We got some football haters right here in the middle of us. You got your favorite chair thieves. You go in and you're going to sit in your favorite chair and some kid is sitting in it. What are you going to do? You know, have I missed anybody in the, in the difficult people? Difficult people. But there's another reality, a more tender reality. We encounter difficult people and we encounter people in difficulty. It's not just difficult people, but it's people that have difficulties going on inside of them. The other reality is that the holidays are a reminder for a lot of people that things are not the same they were a year ago. Grief is, is, is sort of rampant during this time of year. It's grief for those who have passed from this life. And as we've said over and over and over again, trying to get our hearts and our minds around uh, what grief is, uh, grief is not about where they are. It's about where they aren't. Uh, people lose jobs. Financial situations change. They're wondering, you know, how they're going to make it, let alone finance a holiday. Loneliness. Oh, my brothers and sisters, never underestimate the power of loneliness. House is empty. People have health fears going on. Some wondering, will I see another Christmas? So there are people we are not sure we want to welcome. And there are people we aren't sure how to welcome. And I, I want to give you the answer to that question. And, and it's also the big idea of what we're trying to accomplish this morning. The big idea is this. Welcome others as you have been welcomed by Christ. Let that settle into your heart and into your thinking for just a second. Welcome others the way that you have been welcomed by Christ. Think for just a minute and think deeply about all of the ways that Jesus was a welcomer of people. Jesus, you know what it means to, to, to welcome somebody? To welcome somebody means that you're making space for them. You're making space for them. When you welcome somebody into your home, you're welcoming them into your space. When you're welcoming, welcoming them into your heart, you're making space in your heart for them to be able to come in to your heart. And think about all the kinds of people who came into Jesus' presence. There were grieving people like Martha and Mary in John chapter 11. Grieving hard. Grieving hard at the death of their brother Lazarus. And we all know the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus enters into that grief, shortest verse in the English Bible, and Jesus, you know it, Jesus wept. And all of the people that are seeing his interaction with the family and with these two sisters and the people that love Lazarus, they say in John 11, verse 36, see how he loved them. He was demonstrating as he entered into their, their grief, his love. There were desperate people. There's this Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7 that finds Jesus, falls at his feet, and begs him to heal her daughter who is possessed by a demon. 
Now, is there anyone who is more desperate and stressed and worried than a mom whose child is in danger or is not flourishing or there's something wrong and she can't do anything about it? And Jesus enters into her stress and into her desperation. And in verse 30 of that same chapter, she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. But there are embarrassing people. You know, I'm not talking about the people that embarrass you. I mean, we all have friends that they, they, uh, they, they make it kind of sport to embarrass you. Um, I'm talking about the kind of people that when they come into the room, you're just kind of embarrassed for them. People think that they make decisions that are going to make their life, and in the end, they become an embarrassment. That's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. He's a chief tax collector. He's doing well for himself. But that one decision has made him a persona non grata in Jericho. And yet Jesus goes into his house, goes out of his way, and goes into his house and eats with him. And it's just this life-transforming event. The the impact of the Christ on the life of Zacchaeus is just, it's unbelievable. And the summary statement of Jesus is this. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, what's the next word? The next word, this man, too. What's another word for two? Also. This man, also. The one that everybody's embarrassed of. The one that you're embarrassed of. The one that you're embarrassed to say that he's Jewish. This man, also, is a son of Abraham. And then you've got dangerous people. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus, you know, is at a dinner. Pharisees, hosted by a Pharisee. They have the triclinium, which is that C-shaped table about this high off of the ground. He's reclining. And a prostitute comes in. And she stands behind him. And everybody, I mean, Jesus doesn't see her come in. Everybody else sees her come in. And Jesus is the last one to see her. She's standing behind, behind him. And she starts to weep and she lets her tears fall on his feet and cleans his feet with her, with her hair. And she kisses his feet and she pours perfume over them. And we're thinking, man, this, this lady really loves Jesus. But everybody else in that room sees her as dangerous. This lady is dangerous because she can ruin your reputation just by touching you, just by looking at you. She can ruin your reputation by knowing your name. And Jesus, who knows what the backstory is, where she is so overcome by the love and the kindness and the compassion and the tenderness in this man that she goes into a house that is dangerous for her because of the Pharisees. And Jesus tells this story, and in the end, he blesses this gal and says, your sins are forgiven. You ever had somebody come into your presence that was hostile towards you? Hostile people. I mean, there are people, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be like to fight guy, right? But sometimes you find yourself in the presence of people that they, they, they're coming after you. They're hostile. And they're coming after you. And they want to debate you. And they want to fight you. And they want to talk to you and argue with you. And they want to they put you down. And they want to demean you. And they want to they embarrass you. The religious leaders of the people 
In the day of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made no bones about their hostility to our Lord and Master Jesus, the Christ, which festered to the point of murder. They were not on the same page politically, not on the same page religiously, and yet not once, not once in Scripture do you ever hear Jesus say, I swear I'm never going to talk to those people ever again. Never. They're scary people. Scary people. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee and gets out of the boat. This, this eastern side of the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. It's the region of the Gentiles. And there he is met by a demon-possessed man who could not be chained without breaking the chains. No one in that area had had a good night's sleep for years because at night they could hear him running through the woods and screaming. And when, and when people saw him, he was just all cut up. He had cut himself. He was so scary because he was so deranged and out of his mind and so possessed that he would cut himself. And, you know, mothers would, would tell their little kids, if you're not good, Legion is going to see it, and he's going to come for you at night. Scare the little kids. And Jesus heals him. And in Mark 5, verse 18, he gets into a boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed begged, begged to go with him. There are other examples. I think these are sufficient for us to conclude that all of these people went into Jesus' presence because he had the reputation of being a really good, welcoming person. He was approachable. He put people at ease. You know, I had a friend one time, uh, was a guy that we did <coughs> mission work in Brazil with. And uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know if anybody here has one of these, but an open door policy when it comes to his house. You came to his house, didn't have to call, didn't, you just showed up, knocked on the door, came on in. Didn't turn out to be all that good for him. But one of the things that you would say about Christ is that he had an open-door policy when it came to his heart. You know, when they said this about him, they meant it as an insult. But you'll remember over there in Luke chapter 15, the way that those, those three parables ending in the prodigal son, how it begins is the religious leaders are saying, this man, referring to Jesus, this man what? Well, let's say it together. This man welcomes. He welcomes. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They meant Jesus welcomes everyone. It was an insult. It was a tremendous insult. But here's the thing. The only reason that you and I are united with Christ, any sense of being united with the Christ, having any experience of His love, any experience of His tenderness and compassion, any sense of the reception of the Spirit of God, is because Jesus said, Come. Be welcomed into my Father's kingdom. He welcomed me 
even though both he and I know what I'm capable of doing as a human being. He welcomed you even though both he and you know what you're capable of doing. And he died for you to be welcomed into the presence of God. The reason Jesus died was to make space in God's family for you. He welcomed you by making space in the life of God for you. And because of that, he calls you to something unique in this world, incredibly unique, to welcome others as you have been welcomed by Christ. Now, Paul doesn't call it welcoming so much as he calls it having the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that Prentice read just a couple of minutes ago, in your relationships with one another, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as we go into the end of your holidays, we're going to do a challenge. And the challenge is going to be this. This is the mindset for the holidays. With the mind of Christ, I put the people around me before me. Simple. With the mind of Christ, I put all of these people around me, all of these people that are surrounding me, I put all of these people before me. The people who are difficult need someone with the mind of Christ to bear with them if they are ever going to change. The people who are in difficulty, and difficulty is in them, they're hurting and they're grieving and they're lonely, need someone with the mind of Christ to enter into that grief and that loneliness and that suffering with an understanding ear and a listening heart and a kind, welcoming voice. And so out of this passage that Prentice read, there are four choices that we begin praying for today as we get ready for the holidays. First is this, we choose to love. You know, one of the things you need to do every day, I think, as a disciple of Jesus, you know, we have the three dots up here, love God, love people, change the world. You know you have to choose to do that. One of the things I do every morning without, without fault is in the, on this day, God, I choose to love you. And there are times when, when I, I say, and I choose to love. That's the life I want to live. I want to be known as a person that loved other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same, same, underline that word, love. The love of Christ, who chose to leave heaven. It was not he wasn't compelled to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He wasn't coerced to do it. He volunteered to leave heaven in order to love us all the way to the cross and to show us what the love of God was all about and to show us how to love other people and to love each other. And then when he got to the cross, what is it that keeps Jesus on the cross? Is it the nails? No. Roman soldiers and spears and swords? No. What keeps him on the cross? Love. For you and me, and for everyone else. And we are called to be like-minded. To have that same kind of love. When folks, wherever they're coming from, come into our life, we choose to love. Number two, we choose to encourage. Do you know how great a weapon your mouth is? 
I mean, our, our words, our tongue, our mouth makes atomic bombs and nuclear weapons look like child's play. By the same token, our tongue and our mouth and our words, our words, folks, have such power to speak truth lovingly into somebody's heart. Paul says to that church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, does Christ in any way encourage you to know that you are His and He is yours and that because of Him you belong to God? Is there any encouragement in that? Then do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Listen, you know, I don't know what kind of conversations you're going to have over the next couple of weeks, but let me tell you what every one of those conversations need, and that's they need encouraging words. Those people need encouraging words. When you look deeply enough into somebody's life, because you've already chosen to love them, and to love them means you're going to look deeply into their heart. You're going to listen to them. You're going to, you're going to see that regardless of what you might have thought two days ago, that this is a person that could use Loving words and encouraging words and building up words and not tearing down words. Number three, choose to be humble. Choose to be humble. Repeat after me. It. <laughs> it's easy and strong. Just repeat what I say, right? It is not about me. Ah, see how easy that is. It's not about you. It's not about me. You know how many great things can be accomplished in relationships when you don't make it about yourself? When you decide that the other person's going to be the treasure? And Paul says, rather, in humility, value others above yourself. All these people that are around you, you're going to put them in front of you. And then finally, choose to be kind. Wow. Whole sermon, I think, on kindness, but not today. I think, I think kindness, along with forgiveness, are some of the most underutilized, underdeveloped tools that human beings, and disciples of Jesus especially, have in our toolbox. You know, forgiveness, forgiving someone the way that we have been forgiven in Christ, Ephesians 4, verse 32. But choosing to be kind. Choosing to be kind. It's so unexpected. It's so unexpected. And when those moments come when you're annoyed and you want to return fire equally the way that you have received fire and you want to be sarcastic, you know, you just want to roll those eyes. You know, you want to respond. I'm not saying don't respond, but choose kindness. Choose kindness. I read a long time ago, and it just, it just stuck with me, you know, these 30 years now. Guy said, you know what, sometimes you, you, sometimes you do need to speak the truth. Make sure that it's always in grace. He said, this is the way that you do it. You always dip your arrows in honey. It says it all, right? 
be kind. Paul says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what it means to be kind. It means to serve them, to look to their needs, to look to their interests, not to your own, but putting all of those people around you in front of you. So you welcome people. You welcome people the way that you have been welcomed in Christ. And you, you pray on a daily basis to, to, to be a person who loves and a person that encourages and a person that is humble and a person that is kind in these coming weeks. And you'll be surprised at the changes that you're able to make in what's happening in the people around you. Nobody's perfect. Everyone's welcome. Let's stand and sing.